glad you're here at Genesis this morning. My name's Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors, and that is a joy. We're in a series called One Another, God's Heart for All of Us, and we're kind of in the, it's not the meat of it, it's just the middle of the series. We'll kind of go right on through, for about one more month, we have this series, and it'll end right around Thanksgiving time. Not on purpose, just where it landed. And so, it'll be... The next two weeks on confession and forgiveness will be good weeks. If you are in one of our community groups, a couple of our community groups do a specific type of breakout at the end. They do men breaking out with men and sharing their hearts and uh, women who will join up with the other women in the group and share what's going on, time of encouragement, time of confession, time of sharing, time of you know, fill in the blank. Um, but it's, those times can often be very fruitful but imagine if you are in a group like that or a discipleship group where it's just always the same group of men or the same group of women for you know, week after week. But imagine being a newbie in that room and hearing people share what's going on in their own lives. And maybe you even wanting to confess something, some sin or some issue that you have that you would love the group's help with. And all these questions start to come to mind. Well, can I, can I trust these people? I just started going to this church. What if I'll be judged for what I share? That's a huge one. What if, what if I share something that isn't within the realm of appropriate things to share in a, in a breakout like this? These are all lies that our flesh tells us to keep us from opening our hearts with other brothers and sisters and to keep us kind of closed up and assume that we can just work out our issues among ourselves. I speak with people from time to time, and I've seen it for years, where people assume that they can lick that sin if they just try hard enough. I'll just knock it out. I'll just muscle it to the ground. I, will, I, I can do this. And they're usually disappointed and it comes to some type of pressure point or head, and either the world's falling apart or it's about to. And if you could just confess earlier, uh, I've heard, heard it said like this, if you could fall small, you don't have to fall big because you just keep bringing those little sins and heart issues before people so they can continue to pray for you and you can walk in the light with that. And so... To enjoy what God has for us in the faith family requires this kind of uh, right and left movement of confession and forgiveness and confession and forgiveness because we are a group of relationships and every person in this room, every member of Genesis has relationships in some capacity with every other member. They have some type of relationship, but then you might also have people you serve with, or you have teams that you're on, or you might have your small group that you're a part of, or your discipleship group that you're a part of. You might have all these other things where there's other dynamics of relationships. And, and in those, unless you are superhuman, and there seems to only be one of those people, there will come times when you fail them, they fail you, or there's something else going on. Maybe, maybe something else has happened in the background, and you really need to bring that to your brothers and sisters so that they can help you with it. But again, in those moments, there's these little checks in our spirit of, I don't know how I'll be received. And then because of that, we can't actually enjoy the fellowship that God has for us to be God's people with God's spirit living life together, and it becomes hard. 
We'll break this down into two ways. This week will be confess to one another. Next week will be forgive one another. And so if you find me kind of stopping short, like the brakes are kind of stopping on confession into forgiveness, that's on purpose because there's going to be this little parentheses right there at the end as we get to enjoy walking in harmony with other brothers and sisters. But a lot of that's going to go into next week's sermon on the forgiveness side of this relationship. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at confession and why it's needed, what we do about it. We have to start, though, with sin. What does sin do to the human heart? And then we will move to uh, where we move from that recognition of sin and what it does to how we bring confession into it. Because confession is both vertical and horizontal in the sense that It starts with something going on with us and the Lord, and it moves towards something going on with us and others, okay? So it might be a relational issue that you have. It might be an anger issue that you have. Some of you did the heart-targeting homework, and maybe you spent some time realizing there are things in your own heart that you have to process, but even, even our relational sins start from a misunderstanding of God, and so a mistreatment or, or, or a, a devaluing of what God has said we are or a misunderstanding of what God has said. And so even relational sins are first vertical and then they move to horizontal. And we have to own both of those aspects if we're going to walk in restored relationships. So we'll start with the just concept of sin. James was the, what was written, but we're going to go to red. We're going to go to that at the end. We're going to start with sin. And we'll just say it this way. You know this. Sin eats away at us. I mean, it, it, is like, it is like this vampire that just sucks joy and sucks hope and sucks relationships and sucks money and sucks time and just sucks everything. It eats away at all that goes on. And it can be these little nagging things like, you know, like when you have a stubbed toe, every step hurts, but you can walk. It can be that you just kind of snap at people from time to time or you're a little condescending. And you just kind of, but you can operate in most relationships fine. Or it can be incredibly destructive and you could be an addict and it's eating away at you and every relationship that you have is destroyed and everything in between. Sin eats away at us. So to first understand the idea of sin, we can talk about it as, I had a dream I think last night that I just said sin is missing the mark, which is always, I don't usually say it like that. So I think it was in a dream though. So sin's missing the mark. Maybe my dream was telling me I had to do that. Uh, But this is how I would put it. It's anything. Sin is anything. Actions, desires, or outcomes. Anything. That does not align with God's character or God's design. One author calls it the vandalism of shalom. uh, Of just God's perfect peace that all was good. And sin just destroys that. And so it's anything. Actions, desires, outcomes, states of being that doesn't align with God's character and design. So sin is both, as the book of Romans would say, a ruling power, but sins are also actions that happen or don't happen or presumption, as our curriculum would call some of those sins. But we can see in Psalm 32 this idea of sin just just pulling, sucking life out of David. Psalm 32 says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. What what a great place to be. What a great place to be. 
But listen to what he then says. As he begins with blessing, because he's experienced forgiveness, he moves to what happens when you don't live in that reality. For when I kept silent, didn't, didn't confess, didn't share, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So look at three and four. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been going through something? You've ever been, been, been silent in your confession and you just find yourself exhausted? You find yourself annoyed? You find yourself unable to function in the right relationships? And, and really it is like that, you know, like that stress ball where if you squish it, like things just pop out oddly from your fingers. Like that's what happens when we don't confess sin is that we begin operating oddly. Weird behaviors, weird habits. And sometimes I don't even catch on in my own life or in the lives of others. But um, I find at times where people will begin behaving drastically differently. Drastically differently. And those behaviors might even seem positive. That very often it's because they're trying to mask something else. So something's going on at a heart level. And they're trying to actually operate differently and present a better version of themselves that's actually there. When really all the while they are eroding. And that's what... David is saying sin does to us. It just, it just eats away. And the longer it eats away, and the longer we live in that, and the longer we struggle with that, struggle through that, deal with that, the uglier it becomes in our hearts. Because we just have these nagging sins, and they just seem to always be connected to us. And so you see David going, when I, didn't, when I kept silent, I, I was groaning my bones wasted away, and your hand was heavy upon me. Even sitting under conviction at times can be rather difficult to do as a Christian. But then look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's a promise. It's sure. If we go to the Lord, we confess. If you want to go to 1 John 1, 9, you can do that too. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now look at how he then moves to application. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. So at a time you may be found, when things are right, may they go to you. you are a, now listen, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And it moves to how he will then speak. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, speaking to the nation. I'm going to now begin teaching about your faithfulness and your goodness. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or I will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all upright in heart. And so you see how we began, how we ended. Blessed is the one who is forgiven. And then rejoice in the Lord, all who are upright in heart. And then in the middle, he had to move from what happened when he had sinned, and he had not dealt with it. He had kept silent to I confessed, and then it moved from now I will teach. And you follow that flow, I will teach, I will proclaim, 
I will speak about this, and I will try and help others to walk openly and rightly with you. And so that idea that sin eats away at us, you today might even be living there in some place where your own, your own heart, your own, your own nagging issues just feel stuck, and they're just all these weights that you feel that they carry behind you. It can be really, really hard to operate like that. And you're not sure what to do because I see this as well. As time goes on and the iniquity is not brought into the light, the more embarrassed the person becomes about sharing it. Because you feel like, well, I should have, got, I should have confessed this a month ago. Now it's been 15 months. And 15 months of non-confession is way worse. And in a sense, relationally, it absolutely is. Because you've allowed the sin that is in that situation to just infect all kinds of other parts of your life. And it drags you down. But at the same time, the Lord who is gracious to forgive at month one is the same Lord who is gracious to forgive at month 15. So in that sense, the worst kind of sin is not just unconfessed sin. Like it's like, well, the worst, you know, unconfessed after two years, five years, ten years. Just totally unconfessed. That's the one that really deals with us. If, you're na- if there's some nagging issue even in your own heart right now that you feel dragged down by, God is faithful to forgive. And there might be an incredibly difficult process of restoration that has to be walked from that into something else. That's fine. That's why we have each other. But we have to start with this idea. Why do we confess? Well, because sin is too heavy of a burden to carry by us or by anybody. You heard Bart's sermon on bearing the burdens of one another when they're not walking in the Spirit and how other brothers or sisters who are walking by the Spirit come and help to restore gently. We need that for each other. But so often we, we board up or hide what's going on in our lives from people because we don't want to do that. Now, there's a difference between, I'll just use this pragmatically, if you're new to the church, you don't need to schedule a meeting with every member of the church and confess every sin you've ever had. Like, that's not, that's not, really, that's not really what we're going for here. But there have to be places where you're known. There must be places where you're known, where you're cared for. I, I put it this way about myself. If you compile everybody who's ever known me over 40 years of life, you'll get the most accurate picture of my sins. It's not because I, I try to withhold, it's because maybe one brother knows this and we were able to lock in on that for a while. Uh, but in regard to my operation, even here with the elders, um, I try very hard to be sure even the, even the little stubbed toe issues are known. Yeah, I got this anger thing, or I have this frustration, or I have this thing, or this thing was in my past, and I sometimes have insecurity about it. I, I just try to keep that there with people, and I would encourage you to do the same. I don't know what circles it is, what pockets it is, but if God's given you relationship to this church, if he's put you in a small group, if he's put you in a breakout, if he's given you those people, great place to go is to those people rather than go, I'm going to forge a new relationship and just start confessing to them. Now, here's the next part. It eats away at us. I think we recognize that. Let's just assume, yep, sin does eat away at us in one way or another. The next thing that we have to realize is that sin starts with God. There's the vertical aspect first. Now, this can be hard for us to consider because our world is very focused on trying to right every wrong that happens horizontally. And they don't do a great job of it, but they try. 
They don't do a great job of writing horizontal wrongs. The reason it starts horizontal or vertically first is because every time we sin against a brother or a sister or we sin in our thoughts or our heart, it's because we are not in keeping with what God has for us. <clears throat> and it actually takes a work of his spirit to bring about that conviction. And so it starts in the vertical di dimension and then moves out from the vertical dimension into the horizontal. We bring others into the work that God is doing in our hearts. Even when it comes to your salvation, this is how it works. In salvation, you don't first confess to others, you confess to God. Because that's the relationship that is paramount. And Jesus says this in John 16 about the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He lists out what that would be. But the Holy Spirit brings conviction in the life of the unrepentant sinner. And that conviction reminds them of their need. It moves them to God. And the same thing would happen for the believer, not for the sense of salvation, but for the sense of recognizing what needs to be confessed. There is a vertical aspect that comes first. Not that the horizontal aspect is to be removed, but the vertical comes first. How would we recognize this? Well, I think one of the examples that we can have again from David, because he's like the hall of fame and the hall of shame for us. He's all of those things. Uh, he gives us the best example of pursuing God uh, openly and honestly, and the best example of just sinning very largely. And so uh, from murder to adultery and everything in between, he is the example of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And he had some kind of comprehension of God's heart. It was like, I can always go back to him. And so Psalm 51 might be one that you know where uh, many would put this historically in the interaction that David had with the Lord after his adultery with Bathsheba. Now that's, that's in Psalm 51, 0, after Nathan had gone to him and confronted him on his sin. So verse 0 kind of gives you the background uh, we're not, we don't know for sure if that's where it came from, but it does make sense. Some people even think Psalm 32 came in that whole situation as well. But um, let's look at this because there's a verse right there, verse 4, we'll look at in just a moment. But it begins, again, conviction has come. Let's assume that 51.0, the introduction, is accurate. Nathan goes to David and convicts him. The Lord uses Nathan to convict him of the sin that he had done. Okay. So there's that moment of conviction, and often God does use that. He uses other brothers and sisters to help you see, oh gosh, yeah. So he prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That would be his character, his ways. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's just right there, 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 there. Now there's this line. Against you, you only, have I sinned. If 51.0 is accurate, then has he only sinned against God? Like in the sense of like, no, there's a relational sin, there's a murder sin, there's an adultery sin. All of those things are also a part of it. But the first thing he had to realize is, I did not live as you would have for me to live. I did not pursue you. I did not treat this marriage in the right way. I did not use my kingly authority in the right way. I, he did not do those things, and those things came from God, and so he has to go vertical with it to realize, ultimately, the whole reason we even know what sin is is because God's character never changes. Whereas if we measure our morality based upon our culture, that's kind of always moving, isn't it? 
There are things that exist now that are not considered sins that 10 years from now or 20 years from now would be. There are things that were not sins 50 years ago that are sins now or you know, vice versa. Like All of that's going on. And so if we, if we, if we latch ourselves to culture, what we're going to do is always find this moving center of what sinfulness actually is based upon what the world around you would say. But with the Lord, his character is unchanging. And so we can always go back, and I'll use the term measure. Now, in Christ, we have his measurement. But when I say measure, I mean our actions by the Spirit, when they don't align, we actually have something in the Lord to measure up against because he's unchanging. So David can recognize through the conviction that was brought in that moment that that sin against God was a betrayal of God's character, a rejection of who he was, a rejection of what he would want. So against you, you alone, as I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Hear that? There are things that you could do right now that are evil in God's sight that the culture would applaud. There are things that you could do right now that aren't evil in uh, the culture's sight that the world would revile. Like, like so, so I have done what is evil in your sight, God, because God's sight is unchanging. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment because God's judgment is true. Uh, and then he looks to how his even life was. I was brought forth in iniquity and, sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom from the secret heart. So he asked God to do what only God can do. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear with joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. He's going to God to get what only God can give. And God can't give, for, uh, humans can't give the kind of forgiveness God can give. We can, because of God, try and are asked to give in the same way, but we can't give that type of perfect forgiveness, cleansing, and purging of sin that only comes from the Lord Jesus for us. Create, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So you hear all the ways that, that David recognizes that he... He wasn't living according to what God had. And that was the first betrayal. And because of that first betrayal, he then treated others in the wrong way. For all of us, we always have to be going back to God for that kind of alignment. And you've probably done it too, where you hit a bump on the road, and you, you know, now your car's out of alignment, the front end alignment's off, and so you just kind of let go of the wheel, and it's, right? Like it just starts to move in the wrong direction. Well, that, that causes a mess on cars and on tires and on life and how you drive, and everything else begins to change. And if you don't first go back to God to get the proper alignment of who you are, how he forgives, and how to walk from this, you're always going to be like pulling against that wheel to keep the car from veering in the direction you don't want it to go, whereas the believer should always be running back to the Lord to first receive from the Lord, the forgiveness that only the Lord can give, and then begin to work that out in the community the Lord has given to that person. And so we have to always be going back to God. It sounds like you would then be diminishing the horizontal aspect, but I actually think it increases the horizontal aspect. Because if you know who you are in the Lord, then whatever earthly consequences there are to the sin that you have done are not nearly as significant as the consequences of betraying God. And in Christ, that has been forgiven, blotted out. And so because the worst punishment for your sin in Christ has been forgiven, 
And you will not receive it because of his grace, but you get eternal life, resurrection life, new heaven, new earth. Every believer receives that. Earthly consequences have ultimately little bearing for us. Because we know we're good with God, we can walk out life in the community and bring those sins before the community because whatever that brings about is not as bad as what, we're already, what we've already been removed from, eternal separation from a holy God. And so we're able to go, this is what I get. So we have to go to God first because that's the only way we can then begin to go to others. If we go to others first, what we're going to end up trying to do is damage control. Damage control is a bad way to go after confession because really we become sorry that we were caught. We're embarrassed that we're caught. I remember one time hearing somebody over, over, like, we all do it, but I was hearing somebody say something negative about another person and thought he was in good company to say it, but then he said it with an earshot of somebody else. And that person heard it. And all of a sudden, the PR campaign began. Like, you're going, hey, hold on, but like, like that's, let me, you know, please don't say anything. Don't, you know, it's like your kid's going, don't tell mom, don't tell dad, don't do this, because really you're trying to avoid the consequences of whatever that thing was. In Christ, you don't have to worry about that because the most significant consequence that I would have ever had, separation from God, is removed by grace through faith you are saved. And you can stand up very tall in that reality and realize there are going to be consequences for the things that I've done, but I can bring others into it and they can help me walk upright as much as I'm able And this isn't even to say that confession and restoration makes everything perfect, because it doesn't. We still have flawed hearts. We still have the flesh. We still are always comprehending how to do this time and time again. The longer you live, the more wounds you get, and the more you wound. And so that's all a part of what's going on. But we still can go back to the same God who's unchanging and be reoriented, realigned, reminded of who we are, and then walk from that. So... Confession is not damage control. It's not sorry that you were caught. It's not trying to hide embarrassment or even the consequences of your sin. It's first a work of God in your heart that shows you how you have been misaligned with him. It's going to him and receiving the forgiveness that you have so that you can then go to others and bring them into what God is doing in your heart. That's where we'll get to next. That's the James passage. So it starts with us and God. And then it moves from us and God uh, to, from God to others. Okay, so here it is. And now we're bringing other people into the light that God has already shown in our hearts. So here's what God has done. Here's where I am. Here's what you need to know. Here's what I'm going through right now. Now you bring it in. And we're going to go to James 5 for that. We did James years back. I think we, I think we finished it up like mid-2020. So it's been a while. And James 5 is right towards the end of James. And there's interesting ways that he is speaking about this because this whole thing is talking about suffering, sin, prayer, forgiveness, calling on the elders. And I really think, go with me here, I really think this whole passage is about the suffering that perhaps came on account of sin. The sickness and illness and, and, and whatever that is that came on account of sin. It goes back to Psalm 32 from the beginning. That when we are in sin, there are real consequences and toil that we experience. 
and you need to bring others in on that. But let's just start with verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, bringing God into the suffering. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We have pray for one another in a few weeks. We're going back to James on this. And the prayer of faith will save, hear this, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, you hear that? If he has committed sins, if this is sinful in any way, there's sin that exists because of this illness, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. He then begins to go speak about Elijah. In fact, the reason that I would think that even this illness might be a part of sin in this instance, and not every cold you get is sin. Please understand that. Result of a sinful world, colds aren't in the new heaven and the new earth, uh, but there are consequences to our sin. In the letter to the Corinthians, people were dying because of a mishandling of the communion. They were not treating their brothers and sisters with the right kind of respect, honoring their brothers and their sisters. So there are, at times, physical consequences to sin. And you probably even feel it when you betray somebody or hurt your spouse and you just feel you're just torn up. You're not at peace even within yourself. You're not okay. Sin always has some kind of consequence. But it starts with this idea of suffering, and in suffering you pray. It moves to cheerfulness, and it moves to praise. If you're glad, praise. If you're hurt, pray. If you're sick, have the elders come and pray for you, and you will be saved, restored. The Lord will raise up. So he moves from praying for suffering to praying for illness, but in this whole thing, there's this idea of suffering and sin. And the example he uses later of Elijah in the, in the rain that didn't come and then, did, and then did come, the rain that didn't come was a, because of the punishment that was put on the nation. And so there is this theme, I think, that James is seeing where there are consequences to sinful behavior, but engaging, when righteous people engage with those who are in sin, it does result in better things. We talked about this at staff, and we got a little, uh, not nervous was the wrong word, but it's just hard to think about how God listens, not KSBJ, but you know, uh, God listens to the righteous. And there are examples in the New Testament, Peter would say this, to husbands who are treating their wives wrongly. He goes, live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel, and he goes, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That when I am living in an unloving way with Courtney or toward Courtney, and then I go to God as if all is well, I'm being foolish. Now, God answers imperfect prayers, doesn't he? And he responds to imperfect people, and he deals with all of those things. But there is an aspect of, you hear it in David in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51, when we walk with the Lord, and we understand his heart, and our hearts are pure before him, then we ask in accordance with his will, And those who have been misaligned and redirected by their own sin, sometimes they get so confused on what to ask. And so you're calling the elders over. Or even even in a different direction, you're just in your breakout in your community group. You're just going, guys, I'm not hearing and thinking straight right now. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me because I think you're thinking more clearly about life and the Lord than I am. 
So please help. Please come. Please understand, help me understand what I need. And so there's this forgiveness. Now why, if you look at verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one, the Lord will raise them up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. That's why you might think that the suffering was a part of the sin or the illness was a part of the sin. Because if there's sin there, he'd be forgiven. Now, I'm not asking you to be a seer, determining why someone may or may not have something. This was the question that was asked to Jesus in the Gospels. Who sinned that this man, you know, was born blind? And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. It's so God's power could be demonstrated. And so we'll, we'll never, just if we have to guess, we're never going to know the specific reason something's going on. But what we do know, what we can anchor ourselves onto in this, is that when you bring godly people into a weakened heart, into that, whatever God's working out in a weakened heart, it results in restoration. So there's a work God is doing. You bring others into that work. You confess to others what's going on and say, this is what God's working on in my heart. Let's use marriage as an example. Suppose you say something to your spouse that is belittling to her. And I say to her because I usually, I usually don't hear it the other way around. But I know it exists in both directions. And this goes into a long list of items you've said to your spouse. But your spouse is great. So she really doesn't ever bring it up against you. Love keeps no record of wrong. So I'm not going to hold this against you. But your behavior bugs you. You just keep, I used to, we've all been bugged by our sin, right? Like we just, it bugs you. You just keep doing it. You have these little side comments, these little snide comments, and they just don't, they just aren't who you know you should be in the Lord. But they're kind of like the, they're kind of like those sins where you stub your toe. Our marriage is good, things are fine, I'm just a jerk 10% of the time, and that's not that bad because I'm not a jerk 90% of the time. And I think most people would be happy with a non-jerk 90% of the time. Well, 10% non, uh, jerk is still jerk. And it's still the mistreatment of a sister. It's still the mistreatment of a relationship. It's still the belittling of somebody made in God's image. And so even, even 10% off and 90% okay is off. And so you find yourself being bugged. And maybe for the first five years of marriage, you were never bugged by it. But like for the next five years of your marriage, you became more and more bugged by it. You hope it goes away. At times it does. Maybe you have a great anniversary dinner. Maybe you have a great party. Maybe you have a great something and everything feels good. But you always find yourself kind of magnetized back to little bickery, grumbly things. Being bugged in this instance might very well be conviction from the Spirit. And you just keep trying to put that conviction in a box. To go, nope, nope, I'm not going to think about it, I'm not going to do it, I'm generally a good husband or I'm generally a good wife and I don't need to think about all the ways I'm not. Even in my own marriage, I'm, I'm, I was talking to brothers recently and I was like, I'm, I'm realizing I did things 15 years ago in my marriage, 16 years ago in my marriage that affected my marriage at year 18 and having to, to walk and change my behavior even in that. And so... I mean, I have specific instances, right? Like, what, you know, and of course, a loving spouse goes, it's fine. But it's not fine, is it? It's not fine to mistreat somebody made in God's image. It's not try and fine to be unloving. It's not fine to be, it's not, those things aren't fine. 
And so I have this temptation to go, well, Courtney's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And we will be. But I want to be better than fine. I want to be thriving. And a believing marriage can offer so much more to this world than an unbelieving marriage. It can offer so much more hope, so much more understanding, so just a safer place for children. It's so many things that a husband and wife on the same page can be for so many others. I said, I, say, I want our house to be the house other kids want to go to. All right? Like, like this is the one. We'll, we'll, we'll have you over with us because it's safe. It's right. But you have to contend with that conviction going on in your heart and bring others into it. I had a chat with a brother recently, dear friend, and he said to me, hey, that way you said this thing, and it was in a, a group text, just a group text, and I'm a joker, um, so I, I, I said a joke, and he said, I'm fine with what you said, but it might be misunderstood, and I was like, that's helpful, what did I say again, like, I thought, I have to go back and be like, what was the thing? Um, and he goes, hey, you said this, and I just think there's some times where you might need to realize. Again, it was about him. I said, well, are we, I said, are we good? He goes, yeah, we're good. I said, you know what, though? I said, I don't care if we're good because I made a joke at your expense. And that was really what it was. I made a joke at your expense. And so regardless of you being fine with it, that was the wrong thing to do. So I'm not going to measure whether or not I need to confess to you or ask your forgiveness based upon whether or not you're cool with it. But I'm going to be it based upon the fact that I shouldn't have done to you what I did. And we were sitting in his office, and he was like, of course, yeah, it's fine, it's done. I'm like, I know, because there's a lot, of, lot in that relationship and a lot of history. But I needed to be sure that he said, that he, I said, hey, I'm, you said something, I joked at your expense, and I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have done it. I don't care if you're okay with it. I don't care if you're fine with it. I don't care if you are, are super awesome, and you can just walk freely, and our relationship really is unhindered. Um, I shouldn't have done that. And he was like, of course I forgive you. So what do we receive in these moments when we realize that there's something that is affecting our lives that is sin, and we bring that, right? The conviction comes, and we bring that into a relationship with others. Well, we receive forgiveness from the Lord because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I'm not talking about sins for salvation. I'm just talking about sins for living, right? Like you're forgiven for your salvation once and for all. However, as you walk through life, it's not as if you become sinless. And so you have, though, now a new mechanism and a new identity from which to operate. So you receive the forgiveness from the Lord. You receive the grace and care of your brothers and sisters. You receive restoration, which is more to come next week. You receive that when you bring others into the process. And when you try to short-circuit that confession, repentance, restoration process by doing damage control or anything else, you find that you will, you will just be limiting what other people can be for you. And so where do we go with all this? I think it's, it's what the passage says. It's what the imperative essentially is for James uh, 5.16. I'll say it like this. Confess your sins to others, you could say, and enjoy what God has for you. If you have not been on the receiving end of somebody being gracious to you and you bring sin before them, you are missing out on one of the greatest graces God has for you. Because it becomes a real interaction from the Lord to experience something that God has already done for you. 
And so if you are unable, unwilling, or too hard-hearted, and we all get there, don't we, to bring things before other brothers or sisters, to receive their prayer and their care and their intention, and sometimes even their consistent walking with you to help shoulder whatever thing it is that you have been dealing with, you're missing out on a great, great grace from God. I mean that fully. It is one of the greatest gifts that you can have are other brothers and sisters who aren't going anywhere but are in it with you, care for you, love you, support you, pray for you. So here's one thing I would encourage you to do, maybe even this week, is to consider your own heart. Don't, don't pass over self-examination. I try to pray every day, Lord, search my heart, know me, reveal any wrong way in me. It's a common, common Googler prayer. And you don't even have to swing for the fences because I think it's so often we're like, oh yeah, I'm going to confess that like I murdered 10 dudes. Like, that's not going to be usually most of ours, okay? But you've murdered with your words. You've hated in your heart. You have demonstrated unloving concern. You have belittled your spouse. You have eaten too much. You've been too addicted to Netflix. Like, there are these things you do that are true examples of real heart problems. And if you only define the things that you would confess as this, like, outer rung of heinous things, then the nagging ones are just going to keep eating away at you. And so often we go, well, I haven't killed anybody. I'm like, well, that's not the best measure of whether or not we need to confess. I haven't killed anybody. I'm still married. My kids like me. People like me. Like... Again, really bad measurements. Really bad measurements. One of the hardest things for me to do, even in my own marriage, is to go, I had to do this yesterday. You're right. I shouldn't have said what I said about the dishes. Yesterday, right? Like, I should be a marriage pro at year 18 going on 19. I shouldn't have said what I said about the dishes. It was a very, if you had the interaction, even one of my kids was like, "Uh, you guys are talking weird to each other. And I'm like, we are, we are. And I had to walk away. This is seriously, we're having this interaction. I have to walk away. And I just go into the living room and I'm like. And it's, 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 you know why it is? It's because Courtney was 100% right. Hey, you can do the dishes, Hans. You don't have to just, I like, like why, are you, why are you mad at me about it? You can do them too. I'm like, well, I want to sleep, or whatever. It's that. It is much easier to confess a big sin than to go to your spouse and go, I'm sorry I didn't love you and didn't do the dishes. That's the one you want to sweep under the rug, right? Like, that's the one you want to think so little about. And it's really the one that represents the more significant heart problem, right? Consistent patterns like that. And so I was like, you're right. And I went to the dishwasher and I started to unload it. Now she's like, no, let me help. And I'm like, no, you were right. I'm going to unload the dishes. I'm going to reload the dishes. I'm going to start the dishwasher again. I'm going to unload it again. I'm going to reload it again. Like, I'm going to keep doing this because you're right. And you being right about my attitude towards you also has ways I need to respond. 
right? I don't just go, I'm glad we're good, now can you do the dishes? It's no, you're right. You called me out on my laziness, and I need to do the right thing. Ethan, you weren't there for it, buddy, so you missed out on this whole thing. Um, yeah, talk to your brother. So when you say consider your heart, <clears throat> it's those nagging things. It's not, where have I just really blown it? Because those might be harder to find. But it's, where do I always blow it a little? Because that's the same kind of heart issue. Where do I always blow it a little? And bring that into the light. Bring that before the Lord. Lord, show me where I do this a little. And then bring that into other brothers' and sisters' lives to let them help you. And one thing that's great, and I mean this like, you don't have to do it this way, but if you find another brother or sister who has a strength that is a sin pattern or issue for you, is you can go to them and go, can you help me do this better? Can you help me walk with the Lord more freely and openly in this? Can you help me understand how to apply these thoughts better? Because I, just don't, I, I can't think in the right way. I, don't, I can't demonstrate this in the right way. So could you help me do this? Because again, when we go into the repentance or the, or the forgiveness side next week, there is a process that comes from, yes, I forgive you. And, and what's on the other side of that, I'll tell another story about how I blew it. Um, you're going to get a lot of stories in these two weeks. Um, that's a years-long blow it, so, so you're going to get that one too. But there's stuff that comes on the other end of that. It's not just, all right, let's wash our hands and let's just keep moving. Because there's actually sin behavior toward my spouse, toward my kids, towards my life, or whatever it is that I need to deal with. And I have to handle those in a new way because I'm a new creation and I have the spirit. I'm gonna keep at it. Yes, it's imperfect. The flesh is there. So consider your heart. Go to trusted people and bring that out. Maybe, maybe even when you're in your breakout for your small group this week and you can go, hey, listen, this is really petty, but I always wanna buy lottery tickets. Like, you know, something like that, right? Like, like this, is, this is really petty, but I just stay up three hours past when I should. It's like, like, I know you don't care, but I know I shouldn't because it makes me terrible at work, makes me terrible with my family, and, and they can help you, right? Because what that probably is is an idol of self. Well, I do what I want to do, and, but now you're realizing other people are receiving the negative consequences of your selfishness. So can you help me? Right? It's not, okay, the police are at the door. It's the kind of stuff that people have just come to accept in you because they love you. But really, God could work out in you because he loves you more if we would actually enter into what he has. So share with the work of God in your heart. And I would just say enjoy the process. It can be incredibly painful. But there is something about brother going to brother, sister going to sister, people going to people and saying, I wronged you. God's shown me that, and I want to walk in a good way with you. So what do we have to do? We'll learn more about the other side of that next week. But I would just say, don't let fear of how you might be received hinder the freedom that you have in Christ to confess. Because if God is not holding your sins against you. When you bring that into the community, 
if they hold your sins against you, that's their fault. That's something God has to work out in their heart. So don't let your fear of how you'd be received, because fear of man doesn't really need to be in our, in our schematic. Fear of God. And if we know that God has wiped the state clean in Christ, then we can go to other brothers and sisters and say, here I am. And if that gets mistreated or stepped on or anything else, we can still just go back to God and go, but I know I'm okay. So don't let fear be the thing that keeps you from experiencing freedom. And that freedom that comes when we can share the work God's done in our heart and a brother can look at us and say, I'm for you. I'm in it with you. I'm here for you. I care about you. I'm not going anywhere. And the joy that comes from that kind of restoration. So few relationships in church have that, Adam. We'll talk more about that next week. But that's what I would love. When you're there in group, even this week, or you're with a brother or you're with a sister, don't let fear determine how you would handle the relationship, but the freedom that you already have in Christ. Let that be the driving factor for how you bring others in. Because you have been, in Christ, totally changed. Your sins are forgiven, blotted out. God does not hold them against you. You get full restoration, you get full resurrection, you get full new heaven and new earth, and if you keep rooting yourselves in what is coming, then what is happening here? That is just a stop on the journey of all that God is working out, and it's really good.